There is at least one critical difference between the Quran, the Muslim holy book, and the Bible. For Muslims, the Quran is the speech of God dictated without any human editing or agency. For Christians, the Bible is divine inspiration working through human agency. In other words, when looking at the Bible, we should take seriously who said what, when, and why, because it is the story of God's unfolding relationship with the human race over a very long period of time. As far as we can tell, most of the Bible was written by men. And while trusting resolutely in the divine inspiration of Scripture, some feel that men's voices and the voices of male theologians through the centuries have predominated. It's not that the voice and the role of women is lacking in Scripture. Patently, it isn't. It's just that we sometimes have to do more digging to find it, rather like mining for oil rather than coal. The opening chapters of the first book of Samuel contain this intriguing story of Hannah, which Guy has read part of. Hannah was married to Elkanah, but so also was Peninnah. Peninnah had been blessed with children, but Hannah had not. Infertility is a cruel reality for some people, whose distress is less readily accessible to others than the physical symptoms of illness, and who therefore may, sometimes, receive less prayerful sympathy, especially on a day of the year when mothers are celebrated. Hannah's husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? He may have uh, meant well, but those words were so inadequate from someone blessed with children of his own through another wife. Cheer up, you've got me. Was an insulting challenge to Hannah to pull herself together. This might have been easier, but for Penina, the other wife, who cruelly taunted and ridiculed Hannah for her infertility. The sheer nastiness of that other wife takes the breath away. But it emerged from a culture where polygamy was tolerated without sufficient sympathy for the moral hurt and anguish it could cause. Penina's attitude looks heartless to us also, but we are often only dimly aware of our own competitive streak and how our conversation around our children can sometimes put other families down as a way of raising our own up out of the insecurity that we feel. Hannah's response to this is to pray in deep distress to God. 
And hers is one of the most intimate and anguished laments in scripture, one where she's able to articulate all the hurt she feels and to engage with God as a friend. She doesn't believe that God is lofty and indifferent to her pain and enters into a spot of bartering with him, reminiscent of Abraham. She makes a promise that if God gives her a child, then she will give the child back to God in service of him. Now, some people are understandably suspicious of those who make deals with God. Would I dare ask people to put their hands up if they've ever done that in their lives? You know what I mean. If you get my wife through this illness, then I'll start coming to church again. Or, if you let me get this job, I'll give even more of my salary away. In the secret places of our hearts, we try, let's be honest, many negotiating positions with God. We should be reluctant to make deals with a Lord who calls us to unconditional love for him. But it's interesting that Hannah felt she could, and that God answered her. As she prayed in the temple, the priest Eli observed her lips moving and her disorientated state, and jumped to the conclusion that she was drunk. Eli's been understandably criticised by many readers of 1 Samuel for being judgmental of Hannah. But there were mitigating circumstances. She was at Shiloh for a festival where the expectation was that people would eat and drink with abandon. If someone was swaying and muttering in church at the Christmas midnight service, we might just assume, if we didn't know them, that they were drunk. But Eli should have known better than to confront Hannah with the hostility he did accusing her of being inebriated. And he was guilty of hypocrisy here. Because scripture describes his sons as worthless and greedy. Yet it's an innocent and vulnerable woman whose actions are misinterpreted and who's forced to defend herself. In time... God answered her prayer, and Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to Samuel. Samuel was to become one of the greatest figures of Scripture, rescuing Israel and bearing witness to the goodness and the mercy of God through a particularly godless era in its history. And Hannah's prayer of praise and victory in 1 Samuel 2, if you look at it, is one of the most remarkable passages of scripture and clearly the inspiration for Mary's song of triumph in Luke chapter 2 when she's been visited by an angel and told she'll give birth to the Messiah. Mary's song is the better known of the two, but it's rather like the remix of an original song that younger audiences are not aware of. Hannah says, Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry are fat with spoil. 
He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. You can hear the melody, can't you, of Mary's song. This young mum, for she would have been young, gives us fresh and perceptive insight into the character and purposes of God. We should not underestimate either the wonder or the severity of what she discloses about God. Human society has always been preoccupied with status. Having obtained status in life, human beings will do anything to preserve it for themselves and their descendants. Yet here, God promises through the prophecy of Hannah that he will shake this world, that he will tip it upside down and let the pieces fall in a new pattern where the first will be last and the last will be first. God will decide its shape and those who wish to be a part of this coming new creation should know that humility before God in Hannah's words are the very test of our citizenship we do not have to wait for the signs of this happening even Hannah saw it with her own eyes her deal with God led to Samuel being dedicated in the service of the Lord in the very temple that her accuser, Eli, ran. And in time, God replaced the misguided Eli and his godless sons with the very child that Hannah cried for as Eli accused her of drunkenness. The fulfilment, if you like, of her own prayer. And this most beautiful of biblical prophecies was delivered by a mum who, like most mothers of young children, would have been woefully short of sleep and sanity. Out of the fragmented state of her mind, with a young child, God announced to the world the new shape he's going to give it at the end of time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Hannah's prayer, and we pray particularly for young mothers within our church and within our wider community, that our ears may be open to what you have to say through them, that you would bless them and inspire them on this day that we hold before you, Lord, those mothers and children of mothers who actually grieve today, rather like Hannah in her infertility, because of one reason or another for which today is difficult. And most of all, we pray, Lord, that you would work within our hearts the humility that you're calling us to by the power of your Spirit 
that we may be formed as the people that Jesus is calling us to be. And we ask it for his glory. Amen.